Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We've got multiple things to get to right out of the gate this morning. We've got some college football coming up with Ryan Abraham, who covers USC football for uscfootball.com. Tim Lacombe to berate the NCAA after Yoli Childs was suspended for nine games. But we begin with Jalen Dixon, PK up on the hill, talking with the Utah wide receiver, headed into his sophomore year. His freshman year, he caught about 30 balls for 600 yards, ballpark. And now Kyle Whittingham thinks he's one of the best defense or deep threats in the entire country. What does Jalen say to that? Well, here's Jalen Dixon with PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I don't know if you hold Jalen, but on Saturday, your coach, Kyle Whittingham, said you're one of the best deep threats in the country. Did you hear that? Yes, sir. Um, you know, it's just it's really cool to know that your coach has a lot, um, you know, of confidence in you. And um, I, I just want to go out there and consistently prove that I can do that and uh, show him what he's seen and just, just try to get better. So then Andy Ludwig said he thought that you were not just a specialized player, a deep threat. He thought that you could be an every down receiver. So you got some pretty good compliments on Saturday from your head coach and then your offensive coordinator. What do you think about the possibility of you being an every down receiver? I mean, that's the goal, of course. Um, I come out here and I work hard every single day. We all, you know, um, sit in the meetings rooms and try to get this game down, you know, to, uh, to a tee. And um, it's just a lot, you know, it, it gives me confidence to, get, to try to uh, consistently just get better and improve. And that's my goal. So you can't, you last season, your freshman season, you, you sort of came on as the season progressed. Was that a matter of just being comfortable? Yeah, I think that's what it was. It's um, just, you know, throughout practices and everything and, you know, just like being a freshman, it's hard. The first, you know, part of the season, you know, just getting used to the faster pace of the game and everything. But once the practices went along and everything and the games went along and uh, my teammates were able to, like, help me and, comfortable and, and of course having Jason back there that that helped too but um yeah it was just really trying to just be be better and just learn last year and um you know so yeah so then you went to high school with Jason right yeah so, so you obviously had a relationship with him well now Tyler's going to be the starting mm-hmm. quarterback how is that going to be with you and him it's great um we're still you know um working on it and everything and um it's all been good and you know there's no real um, I wouldn't say that I feel more confident or less confident with one. Uh, they're all like, we all have great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They're all great, and um, you know Tyler is great at making those plays down the field, just as Jason was. So um, I, I don't think there'll be any drop off. There's no uh, differentiating in, in you know confidence or ability mm-hmm. or anything. So. You think people look at you and think, well, wait a second, he's not that big. I, I underestimate him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think so. Um, um, I think that's kind of how it was sometimes. Uh, they see my speed and they see uh, what I can do down the field, and I think that's what makes them you know, kind of nervous or, or whatever. But um, I, I don't really you know, see my size as a problem. That's never been the case. I've mm-hmm. been small my whole life, right. and I still got to this point. So um, I feel like if I just continue to work on my craft and getting better, then the sky's the limit. So how much do you think, given the fact of your speed, that guys are going to play off you a little bit so they're not burned long, mm-hmm. can you use that your advantage for a bunch of underneath stuff? Yeah, it's really just whatever uh, the call is. Um, you know, whatever the defense seems to be doing, if they're laying back and not letting me get deep, uh, I'm still at the play, a call for me to get deep, I'm going to still try to get there. So um, it's really just trying to 
just counter whatever the uh, defense is doing. And uh, Coach Lud does a great job of doing that. So the last part of the season you, we already discussed was your breakout season. So now when you go into games this year, people are going to know who number 25 is. You're not going to be able to catch anybody mm -hmm. by surprise. How much do you have to be aware of that to make sure you step up your game? Of course I have to be aware of it. Um, you know, they're, they're seeing me from last year and what I was able to do. And, and I feel like what I want to do uh, this year is more. So um, knowing that and knowing what they're going to do is just – I just have to work harder, and that's all it is, is just uh, go out there and just compete and just trying to do do the the things that I know that I can do mm -hmm. to, to, to really help this team. What do you think you need to work on? Um, really, it's just my consistency. Um, there's a lot of times where I can do a lot of great things, and then sometimes, uh, you know, one or two things can be wrong. So it's just making sure that all the things that I'm doing are right and um, making sure that each little detail is perfect. When you're going long and you're open and that ball's coming down, what's going through your mind? Really just catching it. That's all it is. Just focusing, uh, riding on the ball and uh, knowing that this is what I've been doing my whole life and you know, just, just trying to catch it, really. That's all it is. No nerves? No nerves. No, not, not at all. Um, you don't really really think that much. You know, you're just you're in the air and you're just running and the ball's coming and you don't really have time to think because the ball's there, right? So, so no 50,000 people are riding on this no, game? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, I mean, you think about that, of course, but it's not something that you really stress on at all. It's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just football. And it's what I've been doing my whole life. So, Do you see anything different in the offense from Taylor to Ludwig? Yeah, I definitely just see um, really – from the whole team is just more confidence knowing what to do and I feel like last year there's a lot of times where it was throughout the week we, we weren't able to really focus on specific things so Good. thank you yeah no problem there's Utah wide receiver Jalen Dixon with PK alright we got more football in a few minutes with Ryan Abraham talk to him about USC because USC their third and fourth games are at BYU and home to Utah they got Fresno State and Stanford open things up, and then it's the Cougars and the Utes. So we'll talk with him in a little bit. But coming up next, Tim Lacombe, former BYU assistant basketball coach, not amused that Yoli Childs has been sat down for nine games, especially consider what's gone on with the FBI wiretaps and with the academic fraud in North Carolina. Tim Lacombe coming up next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Tim Lacombe, former BYU basketball assistant coach, joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Tim, good morning. Good morning, my good brethren. So Yoli Childs is out nine games. When you heard this was going on, uh, how long? How what kind of penalty did you think he was going to get before you heard the nine games? And then uh, what kind of emotions did that leave you with? It was crazy. I, I, I had no idea uh, that it was even going on. Um, I've kind of moved on to new things, um, but certainly keep an eye on things as they come out. So I wasn't aware that there was even any in kind of investigation or 
or self-imposed situation going on. But um, when I saw the, the news come out um, and that it was nine games, uh, you know, it was just another <laughs> reminder that the uh, the NCAA is completely 100% out of whack um, with its decision-making and enforcement. And, uh, you know, it was really it was just one more thing. It was just another frustrating thing that came up uh, that you can just add to the number of frustrating things through the years. Can you give us a little behind the scenes in, in layman's terms and do it in a synopsis as far as what the issue was and then why the NCA would even be concerned about it? Yeah, I mean, guess my understanding, and um, again, I don't have a ton of of information per se, but my understanding is that it, uh, you know there's a period of time this year that the rule changed so that players could actually sign with an agent um, prior to uh, the draft and prior to the combine. And I think during that period of time, um, there's things that, you know, come up in terms of uh, expenses that are incurred to, to go to workouts and how those expenses are taken care of um, and what the, you know, I think Yoli was 100% in it to going back to the, going to the NBA or going professional. And so um, I think he probably the one thing that you know everybody needs to know is during this period of time he was trying to make this decision there was you know we were gone as a staff and they hadn't hired anybody for a bit so you know Yoli ended up doing a lot of this stuff um you know kind of on his own but I guess uh the end of it is there were certain paperwork there's paperwork filed or not filed and there was expenses paid uh and reimbursed might I add uh, prior to the self-imposed uh, situation that, that went on that the NCAA then looked at and said, you know, well, he's outside of the rules in this situation. And so, you know, there's a punishment attached. And I think that in talking to a couple of people there, they were looking at it being maybe a game, two games, something like that. Right. But then they came back with nine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... I mean, nine games is that's tough, man. That cuts into, especially with BYU, because you're trying to schedule the best preseason you can. Um, you know, you put yourself once every four years. You have the ability to go to Maui, which is the premier tournament in the country. And you know, as it looks right now, they're going to roll over there without without Yo. Right. So I mean, it's just some of that stuff is just really hard to swallow, um, given the current nature. Uh, college athletics and stuff that we do know, you know, that has not been addressed. Okay, so now we come to the fork in the road, and I want to pursue both these lines of uh, questioning. But first, before we leave BYU, uh, so... I feel like I'm on, like, a 
panel or like being interrogated. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Well, you kind of know how the process works. And so I'm curious. I get the the part about the coaching staff changing. And so, you know, I think we've all been in jobs where, you know, personnel changes and stuff falls through the cracks. There just aren't people to deal with it. So I get that. But there are people whose job on every campus it is is to deal with NCAA rules. And I'm wondering why the compliance folks weren't stepping in in that situation. Or is this such an outlier, a guy turning pro or maybe coming back, that it's not something they're used to dealing with and it's why it slipped through that crack too? Yeah, I I mean, again, I I wish I knew more about what happened in the situation, and I really don't. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there is somebody completely devoted to that. But, you know, when you say completely devoted to that, there's a, a staff of three for every single three or four for every single college athlete on that campus. And, you know, if you think, well, that doesn't seem too bad. I mean, if you go through and read the rule book and in some of these kids, you know, some of the things that they kind of stumble into actually even, um, there's a lot going on with every single one of those athletes. So, yes, I mean, that's, that's a great point, DJ, that there's, there are people on campus, but, and that's kind of what a coaching staff, you have, you narrow that window down, and, and you're in charge of compliance for 13 kids, right? Um, or 13 or 15 or 17 or whatever your roster is for basketball. So it just makes it, the timing of it made it really difficult. Um, you know, in, in the big picture, yes, that's why the compliance office is there and everything else, but practically speaking, it's really hard when there isn't you know, I guess the gatekeeper there in the offices that you're working with, because that's something that we would always make sure that every single guy that went out, even if they had the intention of just leaving, to make sure their eligibility was um, was still okay and it would be an option if they decided to come back. So you've been in this business for a long time, and you've seen some you've seen some seedy things. I think that was one of the things that caught people by surprise is, okay, give them a game or two, three tops, but not this nine games, which is basically the bulk of the preseason non-conference. It's just too many games, and guys like Jay Billis went out uh, on Twitter and said, what are you talking about, man? we got a kid who wants to come back to school, and this is what you come up with. And I had a situation where I, I, I won't name names, but a coach told me there was another coach who called him so Coach B called Coach A, and Coach B told Coach A, what's that guy doing at, at uh, Coach C? He's paying so, many, so much money to get his guys, I can't compete with that. And the point being that there's so much corruption going around that here's somebody who's trying to do the right thing, reimburse with interest, and still gets nine games. Could you speak to, you don't have to name names if you don't want, but the instances of you saw, literally, you literally saw yourself or aware of yourself, all the corruption that was going on in College Hoop, and this is what they come up with? Well, I think two are, I mean, and again, these are these are things that have been talked about, right? Like local, or uh, uh, recently, but they have college basketball coaches who are currently sitting in their jobs on a federal wiretap talking about paying players an exorbitant amount of money or, hey, we've offered them the best deal we can offer them, okay? 
last I checked, you know, every every recruit that we ever brought to BYU, here was the deal. Sign this piece of paper. We're going to pay for your school. Over the last few years, we're going to give you a stipend, okay? But with that, the bonus is you get to abstain from alcohol, tobacco, hot drinks, and any kind of fun in the sack. <laughs> All right, that's one little contingent thing that you get out of this or the package. back seat, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, and then also, hey, if you've got facial hair, we, we'd ask you to cut that and get your hair really short and look really good. So that's the best deal we can offer you. And, that, and then we're going out and trying to compete with guys who are literally paying, you know, six figures to come and play. And everybody's like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, see, these guys, they're, they're, they're caught on wiretap. And it wasn't even the NCAA that did this. This is the federal government. But yet, these two guys are still sitting in their jobs, ready to coach their team this year. And that's where it gets really kind of difficult for someone you know, who spent the number of years I did trying to tiptoe around every single, you know, stupid rule. There's rules there that are, are very important, but the funny thing is you say, well, nobody else keeps them, you know, so why? Um, I guess that that's where, I mean, I sent a tweet out this week right afterwards. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm assuming because you guys I may mean, got retweeted about, no, nothing's been more retweeted or liked of mine since I said I was leaving college coaching. I mean, I think there was such an excitement and uproar <laughs> that I was gone, finally. Um, but, yeah, it got my blood pumping to know and, and sit in gyms. I mean, you don't have to be a Sterling scholar to walk into a gym in the summertime and see the very, very, very best players who are projected to go one through ten or you know in the lottery the next year and see the same crop of guys who are constantly getting them and not think hmm something's going on here i mean it's not some of it's not just the unbelievably engaging personality of the head coach um so that's that's where the frustration lies and having done it for as long as i did and seeing when things actually come down and guys get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, the they you know they table the penalty kind of like UNC long enough to where hey it'll just blow away. I mean, and in the North Carolina instance, I mean everybody says well you can't go after schools for accreditation; it's outside the boundary of the NCAA. But what you can do is basically look and say they were playing with a bunch of academically ineligible players because the classes weren't up to snuff because I promise you that's what they'd do if it happened at Santa Clara Mm -hmm. or University of Idaho because it's really easy because you're not really cutting into your coffers but when it happens in North Carolina whoa that's wait a second they make us way too much money Um, so that's way too much but that's what you guys asked me for so there you have it the legendary Jerry Tarkanian with a great line, the late great Tark. They were so mad at Kentucky, they put Western Kentucky on probation. 
Well, you know, this crazy thing, DJ, is we talked, we had this exact same conversation two months ago, right? The three of us on the radio. And I think we both said, if there's ever any meaningful change. Um, but I think these are just little nicks in the armor that um, I'm going to make kind of a bold statement. I just don't know how much longer that people are going to put up with it. And, I mean, people aren't overly ecstatic about the NCAA as of right now anyway. Um, we could be, you know, if they, if they don't change their tune, if they don't change the way they do business, I mean, what happens is they just get replaced. And, you know, who would ever thought we'd be in a situation with a Power 5 and a non-Power 5? And we heard it was all coming, but um, the NCAA should really do a better job of mining the farm uh, or there's going to be a hole in the gate. There may be some livestock departing for greener pastures. I'm wondering if you know about this in this late time, could child say the heck with it? I'm going to go to Europe. Is that a possibility or are those positions and those rosters already? Um, I assume he could, uh, but I don't, I don't expect that. Um, I did talk with Yoli. um, yeah, shortly after the decision, I talked to him in a bit, and you know he's he's resolved. He's made a commitment to be here, and he wants to try to make this as special as possible. But it certainly lets a little of air out of the balloon because you know he's a he's a really really important part and piece to that team. So I would expect yes, I think he could do that, but I I don't think that's even in the realm now of the. Of, I think he's already down that road. So the I was thinking of compare when I knew we were going to have you on. I was thinking of comparisons for this. You know where there's this story out there that seems obvious, and the people behind the scenes definitely have good stories, but nobody really wants to put their face on it. When does something happen with college basketball the way Jose Canseco happened with baseball, where one guy got so mad, felt blackballed, didn't care, wrote a book, and just said everything about steroids, names, accusations, dared people to sue him and call him a liar, and he just blew the roof off the whole thing. And yeah. there are so many people in college basketball. I mean, there's so many head coaches and ex-head coaches, assistant coaches and ex-assistant coaches, uh, people who've worked in the office but aren't allowed to coach. There's a bunch of titles for them and jobs for them. There are a lot of people who know what's going on. How come somebody yep. hasn't written the book yet? I keep waiting for the Jose Canseco moment. Yeah, I do too. And, and I really do think it's got to have some teeth to it. I was talking to uh, Sean Farnham last year at the WCC tournament, and he's just fed up with it all too. I mean, we're talking about it all, and particularly the kind of the slant toward the the non-power five schools. Um, but I, I think that here, in my opinion, and Sean actually kind of hinted at this too, this federal investigation came out of nowhere. Like I'll never forget last it was like last September, I think August September. And we were walking into a workout, and everything kind of hit the wire. And even at that point, I almost wonder if somebody said, you know, finally spilled the beans and it got out. Because the one thing the NCAA does really well is protect their own um, entity as best they can. And so I almost wonder if it's that's almost the first layer. It's like, screw it, we're going to go over the top of them and go straight you know, to the NCAA, obviously have no proof of that, but it was just kind of random how that all kind of came about that 
now the FBI is actually jumping into this because there's so much noise about it. Um, and again, I want to re- repeat, not one of the schools mentioned has faced any kind of disciplinary action. Coaches have been actually put in pr- federal prison. Okay, not head coaches, but assistant coaches. But the guys who, you know, were completely involved in this thing, you know, all but one, I guess, is they're all sitting in their offices this morning getting ready to coach a season, not missing nine games or five games or 12 games, but be able to coach them all. It doesn't make any sense. Tim Lacombe, former BYU assistant basketball coach. Tim, thanks for a few minutes this morning, and we will uh, we'll talk to you when basketball season gets rolling. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. There's former BYU basketball assistant coach Tim Lacombe. We are going to take a break. When we come back, Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com to talk about the Trojans and the Cougars and the Trojans and the Utes. Big games, games three and four on the USC schedule. Ryan's coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Ryan Abraham join us from uscfootball.com. He is on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. You guys ready for some football? Absolutely. USC is game three. Uh, the Game three in the USC schedule is BYU. Game four is Utah. So we're going to be seeing a lot of the Trojans. And I'm curious now, we've talked to other people who, you know, write, they have national websites, magazines, whatever. And one guy we had on recently, we were talking to him, he said, Utah slam dunk to win the South. And I said, what about USC? And he said, you know, everyone's talking about the air raid and the offensive coaches, and that is a change, and it may not, you know, they may not hit the ground running, and they've got the Stanford game early and the Utah game early and all that. He said, but everybody's overlooking the fact that they lost five really good players off the defense, and you know they got guys playing in the NFL who helped them a year ago, and that is going to be a huge problem. Are you buying that, or is the defense going to be just fine? Yeah, no, I think that's a legitimate concern. I mean, some real senior leaders, and now you got I think four senior defensive players total, and like one of them's probably not going to be playing much. So there's not a lot of senior leadership there. You lose, you know, highly productive guys, especially in the secondary, Jenny Harris and Iman Marshall and Marvell Tell. And a guy like Porter Gustin, when he was healthy, was just out there as a sack machine. They've tried to change things up a little bit. They're going to play a simpler style of defense because they know they have younger guys out there. And all the players we talked to say that, yeah, it's just you kind of run around getting to the football more as opposed to trying to read it and react. And the, the secondary, I think, would be the biggest concern because they lost so many bodies there. And a bunch of the guys that are coming back we're coming off injuries, multiple shoulder surgeries or, you know, broken clavicles, things like that. But they've all looked pretty good in the fall, and all the freshmen come in have played pretty well. So I think that there's a deep enough group uh, in the secondary that you don't have to be as concerned. The front seven, I think, is pretty deep. 
but how they all kind of play and gel together certainly could be a legitimate concern. It's not a mass change like you saw on the offensive side of the ball, but they are trying to simplify things, play a little bit different front with an extra guy with his hand on the ground. That's how they're trying to combat that, but you're right. I mean, losing a lot of veteran leadership from last year could be a legitimate concern. So I was down in Hollywood last month broadcasting all day at Pac-12 Media Day and all the, brought all the coaches and the players through, and obviously Helton came through. And it seemed to me that he wasn't ready to full-time commit to Daniels as the starting quarterback. And now here we are three weeks later, basically. Has there been a commitment? Is he going to be the starting quarterback? Or is he still mentioning a couple other guys plus a new guy? No, he's still mentioning everybody. And I think that's been one of the themes. Last year, there was some criticism on the coaching staff for playing like a guy like center Toa Lobendon, who was not snapping the ball well and, and making JT Daniels kind of reach all over the place just to get the play started. Um, I think now they've said, okay, every position's up for grabs. It's a competition. And I think they're taking that almost to an extreme at the quarterback spot. Graham Harrell said he'd like to know after next weekend's scrimmage. They're doing one August 17th. He thinks he'd have a pretty good idea who the quarterback will be at that point. But Clay Allen keeps saying it might take all the practices up until the Fresno State game. I think we'll know probably after next week, like a week from today, uh, we'll probably know who the quarterback is. But if you looked at the scrimmage from over the weekend, all the quarterbacks do well. I guess that's one of the hard things about this. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense, and everyone's going to look pretty good as opposed to like last last spring and, and last fall. Like JT Daniels looked pretty good. But in the spring, both Matt Fink and Jack Sears didn't look very good. They opened up the door for JT Daniels to come in and win in the fall. Now all these guys, even Keaton Slovis, the, the incoming freshman, they all look really good uh, in this offense. So it makes it a little bit tougher choice. But a guy with 11 starts under his belt, I agree with you. I think he's going to be named the starter. They just haven't done it yet. Probably next week. So is the offense really taking hold, or is that still a big question mark? Are they going to be able to hit the ground running? Because the schedule just isn't very forgiving. No, it's a very tough schedule to start. You know, the the good part is for them is that it, it's really easy to install. In the spring, they did it in three three practices. So they got to, you know, go over it five times, basically, in the 15 practices. They had a now, I think... They didn't have as many wide receivers healthy. They didn't have as many defensive backs to go against that were healthy. Now they have all that. So I think this is the time where you can kind of get a real – they're really taking a bite of this offense and you're getting a better feel for it. I think the passing game is there. I'm not sure the running game is. They just, you know, the, the, they've had two, like, full pads practices, like, you know, one scrimmage, and we just haven't seen outside of uh, Marquis Step, the sophomore – um, you know, much in the running game going. And, you know, Marquis Step is like a 230-pound back, which you typically don't have in this type of offense. And maybe that's kind of leftover offensive line blocking from last year. I'm not sure. But I think the running game hasn't been there yet. That might be the slowest to come through. But as far as the passing game goes, it seems like they've hit the ground running with that. But as the whole offense working together, I don't think it's all there yet. Well, the, the the run game is interesting because you look at SC historically, obviously they have the run game, student body left and right and all that stuff has been great through the years. But, you know, you bring in a leech guy and Graham Hurl as the offensive coordinator, it's known for the air raid, not the run raid. And then you look <laughs> at these receivers. I mean, I can go and name you Pittman and Vaughns and St. Brown. 
And I mean, all these guys, all three of them are studs. And, you know, they got a kid named Kyle Ford. I'm not sure about Brew McCoy if he's transferred back to SC or what day it is, and far as uh, if he's eligible or if he transferred someplace else. So I don't know where he's going to be. But I look at that pass game, figuring, well, with this Herald's offense, they should be able to throw the ball because that's where their talent lies. So I'm not actually expecting a whole lot of production out of the run game with this offense with the air raid and all with the quarterback and the receivers how much production can we expect anyway even if it's at its best through the run game yeah you know and, and i think it, it's a great point because the receivers are so deep um you know, Ross brown just could be an all-american this year and you know michael pittman's a senior tyler vons and all those guys you mentioned drake london's a six five incoming freshman that plays basketball who's looked awesome out there um so they have a lot of receivers, you know, the young guys and stuff coming in. But if you looked at this offense from last year uh, at North Texas, uh, they ran the ball for almost 2,000 yards. They do want – it's not a 70% pass kind of offense. I think it will be adjusted somewhat at USC. And it, maybe they even throw it a little bit more at USC than they did at North Texas last year. Uh, but it's not going to be a pure, like, Mike Leach sort of air raid. But Clay Hilton does want to establish – depending on the matchup, too, which game you're in – he wants to be able to make sure that this team is able to run the football. And I think they got good running backs with Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepp and Levi Malpei, but I'm not sure with the offensive line yet if it's going to be there. I think they can hold their blocks for the, the pass game, but are they going to be able to muscle people through and pick up three, four yards when you need to in the run game? It's hard to say. They're going to want to do it, but if they're not having success, maybe they do move towards throwing the ball more that you know 65 70 percent of the time even though that wasn't the plan coming in i i think that might be something that develops throughout the year they do expect that they wanted to have a run game uh, usc fans like you said the student body left student by right they don't want to abandon the run game but this is going to be an offense i think that's really more pass happy i think than even they thought it was going to be just because that's where most of their talent lies you know, it's so hard to figure stuff out during scrimmages. Guys are held out. Defenses can be vanilla. Quarterbacks can't be hit. Sometimes you just kind of have to read the tone and body language of what coaches say to get a read on their level of confidence and their expectations going into a season. And I'm curious what you think about that. You know, Obviously, we don't have a lot of exposure here, but I think a lot of people came away from Pac-12 media days thinking that the body language for Clay Hilton wasn't great. Maybe, you know, he just had a bad breakfast that day. Who knows? How, how have you read it? What have you seen these last couple weeks? You know, it's interesting because I think they could have made some changes after 2017. They uh, didn't, you know, they won the Pac-12, but they didn't look good against the power opponents like uh, Notre Dame and, and especially Ohio State and the Cotton Bowl. And he didn't make changes. I feel like last year after 5-7, and seven, he was sort of forced to make the changes. And you weren't really sure... Is he going to embrace them? But from what we've seen in the camp, I think he has embraced the changes. I, I know he feels really comfortable doing things the way he's always done them, but I, I, the changes were sort of forced on him. But I feel like he's embraced them pretty well. Um, I, I'm curious to see if that's going to stay throughout. You know, the, if they have a, they struggle early in that tough part of the schedule, and he kind of wants to go back to tinkering with the offense or anything like that. But from what I've seen so far. It's not, I don't think it's been the best body language, but I feel like the changes have been made. Maybe he didn't like them at first, but he's sort of like, hey, this is the way it has to be. I know he wants to, you know, it's a $3 million a year job. He would love to keep it, but there was no way he was going to be able to keep it if he, if he kept uh, standing pat and doing things the way they were before. So I think it's not been terrible, uh, the body language and stuff, but um, just it's more of like a, an acceptance that's happened that he knows if he doesn't do this, 
he's really not going to be the head coach much longer. So you look at defense and you know you see that they're starting a bunch of young guys, not just new guys, but young guys potentially anyway, unless it's changed since I last looked on the defensive backfield. And so, you know, you have some concerns there, and I'm sure there's talent, uh, but obviously that can be mitigated with a pass rush. And as I look up front with Rector, a local kid here, Tufele and Tui Pelotu, the down linemen, and then with linebackers, uh, they, they got uh, a couple of guys' experience, but you mentioned losing Gustin. The point I'm at getting at is how much pressure are they going to be able to make get on the quarterback to make it easier for the guys in the back? Yeah, I, th- I like the defensive tackle spot. I mean, Jay Tefele was a five-star coming in who ended up redshirting. I think he's like he's changed his body in the offseason. He looks like he looks like a Utah kind of guy, you know, like someone like, hey, this guy's going to come in, you know, where he's from. But he's, he's someone who's going to come in and just be really productive. Uh, and Braden Peely, the kid from Alaska, and Marlon Tupelope, I think between those three guys at the defensive tackle spot, they'll be able to rotate him in. I think Kristen Rector did really well at, when he wasn't hurt filling in for Porter Gustin. And him with his hand on the ground, I think, will help generate a lot of pressure. But the guy you want to watch for is number 99, Drake Jackson, an incoming freshman. It's actually, you know, he's been wowing everybody. And I, I think between those guys up front and then bringing maybe like a, a Hunter Eccles or a Kanai Mauga, like some, some of these guys that are really good rushing off the edge, um, I think they're going to be able to generate a little bit more pressure. I'm not sure if he's going to blitz more. Um, because they have a younger secondary, they might not uh, rush extra guys as much. So it's going to be up to those guys uh, in the front four trying to generate some pressure. If they don't, I think it's going to be another long year. But there's the talent there. I think they have the potential to. We'll just see what these kind of uh, minute scheme changes, if it's able to help those guys and, and free them up a little better. You know, schemes are good, but if you have enough NFL talent, you're probably going to win a bunch of matchups in a college game, and you're probably going to win a bunch of games, regardless of what your scheme is. How many NFL guys are there in USC starting 22, 24, if you want to go with a specialist? Well, that's a that's a really good question. I have to go through it you know, deep, but I feel like on the you know the defensive line, like I mentioned, a guy like Jay Tefele, and I think and Brandon Peely can be a um, couple guys in the secondary, really, like, like Talanoa Hufunga. Uh, and uh, and Elijah Griffin's been a cornerback, and he's just been a kind of stud. I'd, I'd probably give you a handful on each side of the ball, maybe like nine or ten, which is pretty good. Uh, there's all those receivers, I think, have the potential there. Um, and there's some that are kind of to be determined. But I would say like nine or ten for sure in the 22, and then if some other guys develop, uh, they would have that potential too. But that's, that's a good question. I don't think it's as many as like surefire ones as you have seen in years past for USC. And that, you know, it's kind of, I guess, the sign of the times. Uh, the recruiting hasn't been going as well. And, uh, you know, the big thing has been the player development. If if they have some new coaches that can kind of get the guys in there and develop them better and prepare them for the NFL, then that number could go up. So I'm going to set the standard at eight. Eight is enough. Is it enough to retain Clay Hilton? That's an awesome question, too. I think it depends how you get there. And the first six games are the most important to me because – uh, like a two and four start, and then you, you could easily win the last six games on the schedule. I just don't think that would be enough because then you're not, you know, you're not winning the Pac-12 South. Right. I mean, there's scenarios where they could win the South and go eight and four. That that would help. Uh, but if you don't win the South and you go eight and four, and it, really, if if you're on the road at Washington and, and look bad, or you know, on the road at Notre Dame and look bad, I don't think it's easy to recover. They would have to be like tight losses to some of those you know, power teams if they lose to Utah, which you know, really could decide the South. 
but it's a really close game. It normally are. Uh, but you don't look, you don't get embarrassed on the road against some of the power teams. I, I think there's potential there, but and it depends who you ask. I mean, I, if you asked me last year, five and seven, he would have been gone, and he wasn't. So, but I feel like eight and four is sort of that middle ground. That if they somehow squeak out the South, then maybe it's easier to keep them. If yeah. not, and you look bad in some of the great games, I don't, I don't think he sticks around. See, I think that an zero and two start in conference. With and I've been in the Coliseum over the years, having used to work for the Daily Breeze, to where if they lose that second conference game, which is a home game to Utah, I've seen it before, and I'll probably see it again. They get booed off the field. Yeah, that could easily that could easily happen. And I mean, you can't discount Fresno State and BYU. BYU's on the road. I mean, right. those are not going to be easy games either. But yeah, that the Utah one is probably the most important you know the, the the pick to win the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12 um, I, I think he kind of needs results this year to keep his job and if you lose to Utah like winning the South is pretty much impossible so I, I, I agree with you there and it's the newly renovated Coliseum it's not going to be they don't have as many seats 77,000 seats now if you got people booing or not showing up after that it's going to be really tough to, to keep him around Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. So the way the BYU and Utah games sit on the schedule is the third and fourth games. They they have the opportunity to to wreck Clay Hilton's career right there, depending on how those games go, don't they? 100%. I mean, that, Utah's super important because, obviously, it's for the Pac-12 South. BYU is really important because you look at their out-of-conference games. I mean, they're on the road at Notre Dame. That's tough. Playing a 12-win Fresno State team to open the Coliseum. That's not going to be easy. Jeff Tedford's a great coach. And you saw the way BYU was playing at the end of last year. Um, yeah, I mean that, that super potential there. Losing to BYU would be unacceptable, and it's not like it would be uh, this horrible thing, but just the perception there. And I think BYU is going to have a really good team this year. They got to play Tennessee and Washington and Utah to start the season. It's not going to be easy, but if you look at those four games, what's the easiest win for BYU? You're either saying Tennessee on the road in Knoxville, that's not easy, or USC at home. So. Uh, it, BYU will be fired up for that. If USC's not and they lose, I mean, it's. I think that would be the end for for Clay Helton. And it's not some, you know, it's not some cakewalk game. It's going to be a tough one, but it's it's a must win for Clay Helton. Yeah, you look at SC's schedule. I don't think they play a team with a losing record from last season until halfway through when they get Arizona. So is it if it is the end of Clay Helton, is it the beginning of Urban Meyer? Uh, that would be. Uh, out of character for USC to hire a guy like Urban Meyer. The last coach that USC hired who had won a national championship before was Howard Jones in, like, 1925. So they just haven't <laughs> gone out and done that. Uh, it's the obvious choice because he's an unemployed coach that's working in media in Los Angeles, and they would need a coach. Um, it, I think it would take a change in the administration. They have a new president that came in in July. If she, if Carol Folt comes in and, and kind of cleans up the athletic department – there's potential there, but the, the people that make up the athletic department now, I wouldn't see any way possible they'd hire someone as established uh, and as powerful as a guy like Urban Meyer. So I, I don't think it would happen. The question would be is, are they going to have to make some kind of move during the season and fire their third coach uh, during the season in a row? Uh, I don't know, but that early part of the schedule, like you mentioned, if it starts off 2-4 and four or something, maybe they do. He's Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. How did you get that website? What a strong domain name you captured there. How'd you do that? 
That was back in 1997 when there was just stuff available. Yeah, people asked me, like, how much did you pay for that? I'm like, 10 bucks. It was like, it was open. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a back in the day. You know, you got to do it a long time ago. Well, wise investment by you. Ryan, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. All right, thanks so much. We love having Ryan Abraham on the air, have him on frequently. We'll have him on again as those games get closer. USC at BYU and then home to Utah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.